Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Ve sallallahu ve barak. Alel aşrafil anbiya ve mursalin. Nebiyyina Muhammed. Ve ala alihi. Ve sahbihi. Ve selleme teslima kathira. Amma ba'd. Elhamdülillah. We have reached our next narration I wish to discuss today. This is the narration of Abi Ayyub al-Ansari. Which he states, Rasulullah <laughs> And so the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he mentions that if the need to defecate comes, then do not face the Qibla by way of defecation or by way of urination, nor do you turn your back to it. Rather turn to the turn to the east or to the west. And this narration essentially is referring to the manner in which a person should يعني, use the bathroom and how such an individual should relieve themselves. I essentially which is the, the whole discussion around this chapter. So the previous narration we discussed the dua of the individual that enters the bathroom and what they state when entering the bathroom. And after that, now we have this narration here. And so, <clears throat> as for the wording of this narration, well, first of all, we have Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, the narrator, who's Khali ibn, ibn Zayd al-Ansari, al-Najjari, anhu. And by his name is known, he's from amongst the Ansar. And he was from the companions that witnessed the Badr. And he was from amongst the companions that the Messenger of Allah, or he was a companion, the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Mus'ab ibn Umair. And so, we understand by Akha, he established the brotherhood, yani sallam, between one of the Mahajirin and one of the Ansar. So each of the Mahajirin, one of the Ansar, they would, they would establish a direct link between the, each, each of the two. For the reason where the Ansar, yani by way of their name as well, they were those that came to aid, they would aid that uh, companion, that Mahajir, that was established as the the person that that was established with that that link of brotherhood with him, and so Musa ibn Umair, being from amongst the companions that were amongst the Muhajirin, or from the Muhajirin, the message of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he established. Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, 
he established the brotherhood with him between يعني, Abu Ayyub and Mus'ab ibn Umair. As for the narration itself, this hadith itself, then As for the narration itself, then this is in relation to the hukum, the ruling of istiqbal al-kibla wa So the ruling in relation to the person fulfilling one's need, yani using the bathroom and facing the kibla or turning their back towards it. This is the the this is the mawdu of the hadith and the rulings there within. As for some of the words, the words mentioned in this narration, the gharib al-hadith, then ataytum al-ghaid yani jittum ilayhi al-qada al-haja yani al-ghaid here referring to the small ground within the earth yani the ground that is found within the earth in order for a person to fulfill the need and essentially this is what we understood the the bathrooms or the toilets to be before they wouldn't be as we have now the porcelain and everything else no rather it just be a, it'll be a ground within the earth and this would be the the ghaid and so, al-ghaid, the word al-ghaid يعني, has two meanings. Na'am? So it's understood by way of two meanings. The first is, as we mentioned, the ground that is found in the earth that the person uses as, as the bathroom, as the toilet. The ghaid also is the excrement, يعني, where the person goes to the toilet and that which exits as waste from the back passage is also referred to as al-ghaid. Thereafter, we have the words and the narration. فَلَا تَسْتَكْبِلُوا الْكِبْلَةِ فَلَا تَسْتَكْبِلُوا الْكِبْلَةِ I do not face the Qibla. Istiqbal al-Qibla, facing it. And this la, the word la in this narration, is what is referred to as la al-nahiya. The la al-nahiya. La al-nahiya is the la of يعني, prohibition. The asl the origin of Allah and Nahiya, so if it's mentioned within the text, do not do this with this Allah and Nahiya, then what we understand from this is that it is a negation, meaning and the hukum found there within is that it is haram, and it's a harim. Does that make sense? So we have the Allah and Nahiya, generally, then it's referring to the negation of taharim. When would it not be for tahrim? When would it not be for tahrim? Something we discussed, I believe, previously. If you have a la nahi in a narration or in a text, but it is not used for the purpose of the action be itself being haram. Emphasis, not necessarily emphasis. There's another text that. That indicates not haram. How do other texts indicate it's not haram though? Now, So you may find that there's a text that mentions a nahi, a prohibition, where the Prophet mentions do not do this action. However, then you find another text where it mentions that the Nabi actually did the action. Naam, actually did the action. And so... What we understand from that, if it's possible to make jam, yeah, I need to combine and harmonize between the two narrations, then in this scenario, 
we would say that first and foremost, the 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 prohibition means that generally it would be haram. However, the fact that we find that there's a text mentioned that the Nabi Alayhi did the action, then it would never it wouldn't be regarded as being haram in this in this regard. However, it would take the ruling of being makruh. Yeah, and that is disliked. Naam. An example of that is the prohibition of using a ma mustamil and using water, used water for purification. So you have a prohibition. I mean in that, the, for example, the, the water is being used, the person made wudu, and then another person used that same water to make wudu. Now you have a prohibition for this. However, then you have a narration that mentions that the Prophet ﷺ, he performed the ghusl with his wife, Maymuna. And so, what is zahir from this narration, what was clear and apparent from this narration, is that he used water that has already been used. And so, this is an indication that whilst it is not haram to use water that's already been used, and it doesn't negate your purification, as long as the water remains in its correct state, or in its pure state, let's say, then we not say it's haram, however, it is something that we would say is disliked. Something that we would state is disliked. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Naam. Thereafter, it mentions as well, وَلَا تَسْتَدْبِرُوهَا Yani, do not turn your back to it. Do not turn your back. So, also referring to the Qibla. Thereafter, it mentions شَرِّقُوا أو غَرِّبُوا شَرِّقُوا يعني استقبل الشرق يعني face the east. أو غَرِّبُوا استقبل الغرب يعني face the West. And so this is what is understood from this narration in terms of يعني, the person should not face uh, the Qibla or turn his back to the Qibla. Why does this narration mention turn to the east or turn to the west? Why is it mentioned to the east or to the west here? No, because it's something which is relative to when he's make when the Nabi is discussing the narration, and to the south, to the south of Medina is the Qibla. Now in the south direction, so if you're facing the south, using the bathroom, then you're gonna face the direction of the Qibla. Femton, and if you're facing the north, then what happened? What does that mean? You turned your back to the direction of the Qibla. Now, and so due to that, the the in, the, in relative in relation to Yani uh, Mecca or Medina, Mecca and Medina. This is why he mentioned face the east or face the west. Now, and so what we understand from this narration and from this wording is that it does. It's not now an encouragement for the individual to only face the east and only face the west when using the bathroom. Why? Because in relation to where to that the person's geographical location, the kibla may be to their east or to their west. Now. And so the, in the, the importance with this narration is that the person does not face the Qibla when using the bathroom. Now that the person does not face the Qibla. And this is what the, the main shahid of the narration is, what the main point of the narration is. Now, and thereafter, 
We have the general meaning of this hadith. Ma'na ijmali. Which is that the Prophet he prohibited the Mukallifin from facing the Qibla whilst they are urinating or they are yani, relieving oneself in any, in any way possible or any, in any need that they need to. And so, likewise, he prohibited the individual from turning their back and turn their back against the Qibla as well. And he com and he commanded to turn to the east or to the west as we found this narration. What we understand from this narration and what we can take from it, first and foremost, is the tahrim. And it's haram to face the Qibla or to turn one's back to it. Naam. It's haram to do so once whilst using the bathroom, whilst relieving oneself. Why? Because it's mentioned the asl of the men he had. Naam, the asl of it is that if you have a prohibition, that the prohibition indicates that action is haram. And thereafter, someone will argue though, however, that there are other narrations that mention Uh, Naam, some other mentioned other narrations that were mentioned that there were times the Prophet did face the Qibla. Naam, there were times where he, alayhi salatu did face the Qibla. And an example of that is the hadith of Ibn Umar. Naam, the hadith of Ibn Umar. As well as the hadith of Jabir, Ibn Abdullah, which is found in Sunnah Abi Dawood and Tirmidhi. An example of that is this narration of Jabir where he mentions Nahan and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And this narration of Jabir mentions that the Prophet وسلم, he prohibited us from facing the Qibla when urinating. And I saw him a year before his death facing it. I facing the Qibla. And this narration, Tirmidhi, as found in Sunnah Tirmidhi, Tirmidhi mentions Hassanahu. Tirmidhi mentioned this narration is Hassan. He mentions it, he writes, he mentions the, this narration in his book, and he also mentions this narration is Hassan. The question I've asked a few times in different lessons, you know, this question is coming. <laughs> Why? What is the benefit from mentioning that Tirmidhi says that the narration is Hassan? What can we benefit from that? He's mentioned the narration, and then he's mentioned it's Hassan.
Was it the first season of Terminology Hassan? I don't believe so. No. No, no. Does Bukhari use the term Terminology Hassan? No. And Bukhari is from the Shiukhov? <coughs> no. Why? What's the, what, what can we benefit from that? Tell me, he said, this is the hadith and it's Hassan. No, it's Hassan, he said Hassan. Different rules to the term Hassan, the other, no? No. He said Hassan. The benefit we can take from it, Barakallahu Fikum, is that. We understand from that that Tirmidhi did not intend and his manhaj was not to collect a hadith sahiha. So Bukhari, for example, and Muslim, their intent was to gather up narrations which were sahih. And that was their manhaj in, in collection of the, of the hadith for the book. Naam, that their intent was to gather up narrations which were sahih. Tirmidhi and others, but Tirmidhi in this case, his intent was to was to gather narrations which were mustadilla biha. Yani, oh, yani, uh, narrations which were used in terms of istidlal, used as proof. Irrespective of whether they were sahih, hasan, da'if. Naam, he, would, he wished to gather narrations in ahkam which were used as proof in, in different ahkam. Naam, and from the mazaya, from the distinct characteristics of Sunan and Tirmidhi, is that he would nurture the narration as, as well as what he regarded the hukum of that narration to be. So he would mention the narration and he might mention that the narration is Sahih. Or mention the narration and he mentioned the narration is Hassan, for example. So clearly indicating that he didn't intend just to put all the narrations as Sahih in the, in the, in the text. Naam. So Tawim, our narration here, Tinnabi mentions that is Hassan. And so, with this narration, I and in relation to the narration that we have as well, we here, here we have that the fact that the narration is uh, mentioned that Nabi alayhi salatu salam faced the Qibla whilst urinating. And so, Due to this, you have the discussion about now what, how, how do we understand these these separate narrations? The first, and it's, it's uh, there's three there's three there's three things that I mentioned. There are three things that I mentioned in relation to how you can understand the two narrations together. Now, because. The two narrations are both correct, if that makes sense. So how do we understand them together? The first thing Sheikh Ahmed and Najmi mentions is a naskh. And the first thing he mentions is that one abrogates the other. One abrogates the other. Which one would abrogate which one? Which one's the later one? Of course, that was the later one. Which one's the later one? Now, the one referring to the year before his death. How do you know it's later, though? The year before his death. 
And necessarily the other one could could have been after that. Now, first part of the narration of Jabba, where he actually explicitly says that we were prohibited. So, mentions this this happened before, and then this happened. Now, and so this this was this indicates that it's linear. Now, that it's one thing after the other. So, so those you have those that say that it's nasik uh, mansuk, one abrogates the other. Then you have those that will say that it's yani a gem. That is, is uh, you can combine between each generation and harmonize between the generations, and then you have those. So that's the second, yeah, I need to combine, and then the third is that they'll say this is the amr taqsis, that this is something which is taqsis specific to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and this is something specific to him, and that he was given that uh, the right to do so. Specifically, and so with this, Allah knows, Allah Ta'ala knows best. When you look at the, the affair of the jam, then how do you think they would make jam based on what we mentioned earlier? How do you think they will harmonize through the narration? The beginning was hard. That's now not not necessarily that though. So then that'll be Nasik Mansuf. That the ruling changed. But uh, how do you make Jamit though? You understand the ruling? Did, I do. I do. I mean the ruling didn't change. It's Makro. Now, if you to make jump between the two, that you'd make jump between the two. Referring to that is Makro. And this is the opinion of some of the Emma and the opinion of his Jawaz, for example, Qasim ibn Ibrahim. Likewise, Abu Hanifa is a riwayah upon Ahmed as well. Naam. That the prohibition was for al karaha or karahiya, that it was disliked. Then you say, you have those that state that it is, yeah, from the Khasais and the Khasusiya and the Nabi alayhi salatu And then you have those that just make a distinction between the two. Where they say that as for within the buildings, then it is permissible. As for outside, then it is impermissible. Naam. And they just make a distinction between when the, the negation, the, the prohibition came and when the allowance came. I due to the fact that allowance, another narration, another narration that we'll go through, which is Ibn Umar, the allowance where the Nabi, the Nabi was facing the Qibla, and he was within the home, and within the building. And so due to that, you have 
different aqwal, different opinions upon it. And Sheikh Ahmed mentions five, five specific opinions. The first is that it's jawaz for sahari wal bunyan. That is something which is permissible within like, the desert as well as the buildings. Then you have the second opinion, which they say, well, man, al man fi sahari wal jawaz fil bunyan. That it is prohibited, as something which is prohibited in the sahari, so prohibited outside and in the desert, however, permissible within the buildings. Then you have the third, where they say, Ijaz al istidbar faqat fil bunyan. So it's permissible to turn your back to it within the buildings. Then you have the fourth, which is it's disliked. Naam, it's disliked to face the Qibla or turn your back to it, whether you are in the desert or within the home. And the fifth, the fifth is the tahrim, of facing it, like facing facing the qibla and turn your back to it, whether you are in, whether you are in the Sahara, like whether you are in the desert or on the country, or within the buildings. Sheikh Ahmed he mentions that the closest. And the most, and the strongest of the opinions to how he understands that Allah Ta'ala knows best is the second or the fourth. The second or the fourth. The second being that it's not permissible to face the Qibla or to turn your back to it once if you're outside. Naam. Whilst it's permissible within the home. Or the fourth being that it is yani makruh to do any of the two. Naam, it's makruh. So this is how we understand uh, the two. And Allah Ta'ala knows best. And the next narration is the narration that we wish, to, we, we wish to discuss or is mentioned alongside this one, which is the narration of Ibn Umar. Where it says, رَقِيتُ يَوْمًا عَلَى بَيْتِ حَفْسَ رَدْلَوْ عَنْهَا فَرَأَيْتُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَقْدِي حَاجَتُهُ مُسْتَكْبِرَ الشَّامِ مُسْتَدْبِرَ الْكَعْبَةِ and so there's a narration of Ibn Umar, he mentions that I came upon the home, or I, I, came, I came upon the home, so I ascended into the home of Hafsa. And the Prophet was in the home, fulfilling 
of in the need, يعني, using the bathroom. Whilst he was facing Sham and had his back turned to the Kaaba. يعني, meaning he was facing north and his back facing south. This hadith mutafakan alayhi. First and foremost, why did he enter the, the house of Hafsa? Enter the house of Hafsa because he's called his sister. Hafsa bint Umar ibn Khattab. And so, what we understand from this narration as well is the permissibility of entering upon the home. Uh, if there's an understanding that you can enter upon the home of someone and ascend into a home of someone, the permissibility of doing so if there is a relation, uh, if they're related to, and there's an understanding. So it doesn't mean anyone. You don't just walk into your neighbor's house. Rather, it's a, if you're talking about a relative, and no doubt in this narration referring to Umar ibn Abdullah ibn Umar, who was the son of Umar al-Khattab, and he entered the home of Hafsa, who was the daughter of Ibn Khattab, yani his sister. And Abdullah ibn Umar, he was uh, from those that embraced from the those that embraced Islam in their uh, young age, in their youth. And he embraced Islam alongside his father, Umar ibn Khattab. And he performed the Hijrah to Medina. However, he was not present at the Battle of Badr, nor the Battle of Uhud. Why? Because of his young age. Nah, because of his young age. And what was stated to him, or when he was permitted, he was permitted at what age? 15. Nah, he was permitted at the age of 15. So we understand from this, and that what is derived from this is what, brother Khalafikun? That's one now. This is only only, only adults can perform jihad. What else? No. And if none of the other signs of puberty are present, then 15 is the last indication that the person has reached puberty. The person has become balik. So, if none, of the, if none of the other signs are there, then we know that the person is balik by the, the fact that they've reached the age of 15. Barakallahu And it's what we understand from this narration. Also, he was from, he was from amongst the Abadilah. You know, the four of the companions that were similar in age or young in age and regarded from, as being from amongst the fuqaha of the companions. So regarded as being from amongst the fuqaha of the companions. And the four 
Oh, Abdullah ibn Umar was mentioned here. Abdullah ibn Abbas. Abdullah ibn Amr. And Abdullah ibn Zubair. These are mentioned, these four are mentioned together as mentioned because they were all similar in age. All shared the name Abdullah. And were all, yeah, and regardless of being from amongst the Fuqaha, the companions. And so that's the reason why you do not find companions such as Abdullah ibn Mas'ud mentioned amongst them is due to the fact that he was not similar in age to them. Rather, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was from the Kibar of the companions. He was from those that were the elders amongst the companions. And so, what we understand from this narration, the general meaning of this narration here, Barakallahu Fikul, is that... Uh, now, Abdullah ibn Umar ascended into the home of his sister, Hafsa, bint Umar ibn Khattab. Of course, Hafsa was the Zawja to Nabi, amongst the wives of the Prophet. And so, in doing so, waqa'a nafruhu ala Nabi. And so, in doing so, he ended up, his, his glass ended up catching the Prophet Wasallam, and this was whilst he was in a state of urinating. Facing يعني, the Beit al-Maqdis, يعني, facing the north, and his back towards the Kaaba, the south. And so, this is why we mentioned you know, the previous ruling regarding the permissibility of doing so yani, within the within the buildings. Why? Because this narration occurs within the building. Whilst the prohibition is understood to be in the Sahra. And Allah Ta'ala knows best. And we will conclude with these two narrations. We'll conclude here, inshaAllah. And bi'idnillahi ta'ala, in our next lesson, continue with our discussion regarding the Qada uh, al-Hajjah, yani tahara. And the next thing we wish to discuss will be yani, the affair of al-Istinja, yani how one cleans oneself after using the bathroom. Allah ta'ala knows best. Jazakum la khaira. Wa barakallahu fikum. Wa sallallahu wa barak ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa no. <clears throat> um, not, it's not necessarily because it's not necessarily something which is done uh, in a chronological order. It's not necessarily linear, so. It may just be a case that all these narrations are, are are there at the same time, and all these things occur at the same time, and so something is not macro necessarily, because uh, we we've been prohibited first, and so it was haram first, and then the Prophet Sallallahu did it, and then it becomes macro. No, rather, it's just that we look at all the narrations together, and by way of the the the, the ma'amala of the narrations all all in one, I had the dealing with the narrations as one thing. 
that's when you come to that ruling. Now, so it doesn't necessarily mean that any of these things happened in that particular chronological order. Now, rather, it could even be the opposite. It could be the case where Nabi Sallallahu does an action and then it's mentioned that he prohibited that action as well. So then you understand, then it's, the discussion is about what's understood from it. Is it a case of it was allowed, then it was made haram? I it was nasi come sok, or that you make jump between the two and it's now we understand it to be makro. No. Allah. No. Then yeah, it would be. Uh, how, and in terms of it's it's turn your back towards the Qibla, why in the why where did they derive that that ruling from? Yeah, I'm asking the question. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Due to that narration. No, due to that narration. No. There wasn't any specific evidence, but generally, generally, what you find when you have um, it, it's always entered into the discussion, if you like. So when you have a narration where the Prophet prohibited it, and then you have him doing something as well. Then part of the discussion is that is going to be is that is it from the Qasais and the Bisaisana or Taqsis in the Bialisla Is it something which is specific for him that's permissible for him? As we know, there are things that are permissible for him to do. So that will, sometimes that or a lot of the time that does enter into the discussion and it is something which is taken into consideration because we know that there are things that are prohibited for us generally as the as the, as the, as the Muslims, however, are permissible for him, Sallallahu so it's just something that has entered into the discussion, but I don't know of any specific proof that they could use, rather only that the proof that they would use is that he did it. That's, that would be the proof to say that it's specific to him. There's usually something that indicates specifically to him, and then an explanation as well as to why these things are specific to him. No. <coughs> Generally anything, but there's sometimes there are specific reasons. But generally anything can be regarded among them, amongst them. Uh, generally what you find as well is that there something that's made specifically a be, uh, permissible for him is for uh, a benefit of the Ummah yeah, generally as well. So the example you gave in terms of him um, being permitted to have more than uh, four wives, um, the, the benefit for that was to strengthen the, the ties that the Muslims, the Muslims had. And the, the relationship that the Muslims have. No. No. Because it's referring to I turn your back just turn your back to the, the Kibla 
is and would only be done in the building. Only for the building. Why? Because the narration mentions he had his back face towards the Kaaba. However, if you was to use the other narration, the first dimension narration, that I facing the Qibla, don't face don't face the Qibla, do not turn his back to it. And so then what is understood from that is that that prohibition is for the Sahra. No. Barakallahu fiikum. Wa sallallahu wa baraka nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam.